We want to turn to Nehemiah, chapter 7. I'm afraid that um, due to technical difficulties today, there will be no uh, scriptures up on the screen there. So if you don't have a Bible with you, you have to just listen carefully. Uh, if you do, then you should be able to follow, follow where we're going. Um, so we're going we're to cover a couple of chapters, two chapters this week, two chapters next week, two chapters the week after, then we're done. So we've got three weeks left in Nehemiah, um, and uh, we won't be reading every verse. Um, lots of the verses actually are lists of names, so we're not going to just go through them laboriously. We won't do that. So, um, but to just try and give you uh, um, just a sense of where we're up to now in the story, the walls of the city have been rebuilt, um, and really the latter half of the book is much more about life in the city. So this is what life is to be like in the city of God. So obviously we're looking at it historically, it was Jerusalem, the city of God, where in the age that we're living in, we're understanding that that's been um, brought into a whole new dimension with Christ. It's no longer about a plot of land in the Middle East, it's about the nations, the nations of the world. And the city of God is no longer Jerusalem, the city of God is the city bride, the church. And so that's what we've been digging into and the reason why we've been engaging with it and finding it so um, electrifying and, and gripping is because it has, it's speaking into our life right now corporately as a church together. If you're a guest here with us, you are ever so welcome. You may be here travelling, um, visiting a friend. You may be here someone who follows Jesus and is part of the universal church. And so this is your story. This, is, this again, is, is for you to take as your own. If you're, maybe you're here and you're... You're seeking, you're looking, you're not quite sure where you're at at the moment. Maybe you're clear in your mind that you, you don't believe or you've just got lots and lots of questions and you're, you're not in that place where you can say right now, yeah, I completely believe and want to follow Jesus. I just encourage you to engage with this and to listen and to just to be thinking through and digesting in your own heart. What, what would it mean for me to be part of, to be a citizen of God's city, to be a, a citizen of this city bride, the church, so that we want you to find... Um, find Jesus for your own, in your own life through these scriptures. So here we go. What we're going to do, I'm going to read, preach, read, preach, read, preach, rather than read a whole lump, okay? And um, that's where we're going to go uh, today. So we're going to start, first of all, things that are important for city life. Let's look at the first four verses of chapter 7. Now when the wall had been built and I'd set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. We're going to stop there. One of the first things Nehemiah does is he says, okay, we've built the city now. Everything's been built and restored. Now we've got to get some gatekeepers in. Now we've got to get a couple of guys that we know are trustworthy and they're going to guard the gate. They're going to make sure the gate doesn't get open too early and that it shuts at the right time because in those days, cities were self-contained. And very often now, if you visit a city in the world that is ancient, you'll normally find the modern city, but within it, you'll find the old walls and they would represent where the old city used to be and that would have been an enclosed place. You couldn't have just breezed in. You would have had to have waited in the morning until the gates were opened. Then you would go in, do your business, and then you'd have to leave before the gates were shut. And if you didn't, then you were stuck in the city for the night. 
And the reason for that was to do with safety. It was to do with um, keeping out enemies and people that wanted to bring harm. And so there would be gatekeepers. And really, the, the parallel here, you know, you haven't got to be a rocket scientist to see that, is that one of the, one of the things that the elders used to do was to sit at the gate. And, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a watching role. It was a site where they just kept an eye on things. And, and part, this is just showing us that an important part of city life is to have some gatekeepers, to have elders or uh, pastors, the, the word is used interchangeably in the New Testament. And part of what they do is uh, teach God's word and kind of shepherd people. But there's also a gatekeeping element to it. It's just, there's just an keeping your eye out on who's coming and who's going out. Not in a controlling, kind of suspicious way, but in a protective way. Because, you know, we, 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 we looked, haven't we, a few months back at the whole thing of spiritual warfare and the reality of um, spiritual powers and evil and good. And, uh, and, uh, um, and the evil forces spiritually can, can sometimes be at work in terms of trying to destroy the church. And sometimes that's through harmful people. It's through almost sending people into a church to, be, to, to, to spread bad ideas or to, or to live in a way that is destructive and influence other people. And so if, there's no, if there aren't some, some, some men appointed by God to keep, to keep an eye on that, then it can, it can leave people vulnerable, particularly vulnerable people vulnerable. And so it's a really important thing to see. And I, I just, I, I guess it's an obvious one and I'm not going to say loads on it, but I just want to say, look, it's there. It always has been there. And it's, God's, it's part of God's heart to protect his people from, from people that would come for destructive purposes. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's a great privilege. Um, God willing on January the 6th to be able to lay hands on Hazia be able to join the eldership, the pastoral team. It's a, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing when, when, when God adds to pastoral leadership of the church. It's a, it's a sign of life. It's a sign of health. And we're to be celebrating that day together. But in a world that despises authority and really doesn't like, really looks quite negatively on any kind of leadership and really I, I, often, for good reason, we want to have our mind renewed on that, don't we? And think right and think straight about it. And Jesus is the ultimate leader. And he's the ultimate servant. He's, 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 the ultimate, he's the ultimate one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and yet look what he does with it. He, um, he takes off his outer garment and he washes his disciples' feet, and that's, that's what it looks like. That's authority in the kingdom. And so um, you to see it as something that is for our good as a church and to, to keep us in a place of health and life together. Amen? Amen. So that's there. Okay, great. I wanted to just uh, say that and just um, mention that and say... Ultimately, Jesus Christ is the shepherd of the church. Any pastors or elders are under shepherds. The head of the Revelation Church is Jesus Christ. He's the apostle. He's the prophet. He's the evangelist. He's the pastor. He's the teacher. And all, anyone who exercises any authority in the church is delegated authority from him. It should be done accountably, gently, in a way that brings life and doesn't, uh, doesn't cause any destruction or harm in any way. Um, no leaders or elders or anyone else is beyond, is beyond uh, being held to account, beyond um, being uh, corrected. All of us, uh, you know, we are all as much members of the church as anyone else. It's not a hierarchical thing. Okay? Just a bit of teaching there. Basic stuff. I wanted to just get that one in. Okay, let's now we're going to read verse 5. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up 
out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. Then we get a list of lots of long names that are hard to pronounce with numbers next to them. And it's really a record of all of those who had been returning to Jerusalem and Israel from the Babylonian captivity. Remember, we've looked at that week after week, haven't we? Nehemiah, he was born in Persia because his forefathers were exiled from Jerusalem when the Babylonians ransacked it. And so there's a record here of all those who are coming back. But then if we just read verse 61, it's quite intriguing. Um, after all of these lists of names, it says, the following were those who came up from Telmila, Telharsha, Cherub, Adon, and Imma. But they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, there were 642. Also of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Hakoz, the sons of Barzillai, who were taken a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thummim should arise. That's a bit of an unusual thing. Okay, what's going on there? Urim and Thummim and all these names. What, what, what? What's happened is that some guys have come back and they've said we're part of the priesthood, but their names, their gene- they've not been found. There's no record of them. And so, the, and so Nehemiah and those in charge said, you know, you need to just hold off. You can't just, you can't just, you can't eat the holy food and do the priestly thing because actually, actually we're not sure whether you're pretending. <laughs> we're not sure whether you really are who you say you are. And it's just an interesting thing I thought of note and I wanted to talk about for a while was this whole idea of belonging. I want to look at two ways that you can belong in God's city, in God's church. Um, It's a very interesting thing that happens here. There's an assembly. He says, God put it in my heart to assemble and to enroll. So to gather people together and say, who's who? Oh, okay, you're part of us. Oh, and that's where you're from. And just piece the whole thing together. I think the point is this I want to make, that in the church of God, there's nothing casual about belonging. It's not just like, oh yeah, you know, you, any, you know, anyone can kind of be part of this thing without any kind of sense of uh, it meaning anything or being important or really mattering in a hearts in a meaningful way. It's just kind of just open the doors. And now that's a tightrope because on the one hand, open the doors, anyone can come. The more people that come to celebrate with us on a Sunday and hear the gospel, the better. Absolutely. And yet being here in a meeting on a Sunday is actually different from being part of the church. They're different things. And if in your mind, the way you see church is, well, it's somewhere that you go on a Sunday to worship and you go home again, then you've not understood what it means to be part of a church biblically. The Bible talks in much more vivid vivid terms about being part of the body of Christ and functioning together with a group of people in a very organic and intimate way in the sense that there's a body and someone's a finger, another person's a hand and someone's a... And it all fits together and when it's working it functions and moves beautifully and expresses the nature of Christ in the earth. That's what it is to be part of a church. It's much more than going to meetings and it's much more than doing stuff. It's about finding your place in the purposes of God in the family of Christ. And and there are certain things that are vitally important to that. So it's really important that 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 you know Jesus. Now, in terms of coming along to our meetings, anyone's welcome. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. If you're here and think, well, I'm not sure I do believe, I'm not welcome. You're absolutely welcome. It's a big part of what these meetings are, is for people to come and find Jesus and to find out what do these Christians really believe. You're so welcome. But what we would say is this, to be part of the church, you need to be part of Christ. You can't be part of the church if you're not part of Christ. You won't get it. (laughs) 
frankly, you won't get it because until you're part of Christ, the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell you. And those who are part of Christ have the Holy Spirit. And so they kind of they get things of the Spirit. They understand. When they pray, they're not just saying, what is they're, they're, they know God. There's a relationship. They've been reconciled through coming to know Christ to God. So there's a meaningful power in their relationship with God. There's a fellowship that believers have with one another with a spirit connection and it transcends race. It transcends age. It transcends social background. It transcends personality. It goes beyond all of that. There's a connection that comes by the Holy Spirit. You see, these are things that can be yours in Christ, but you've got to come to Christ to receive them. It's the benefits of knowing Christ, to being dwelt by the Holy Spirit, fellowship with other believers. But I want to urge you and, and, and call upon those of you that do know Jesus and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and I want to say to you, listen, there's a fellowship for you to be a part of. There's a dynamic life for you to share in. It's an amazing, beautiful, rich privilege to be involved. And it's much more than just doing stuff. It's about relationships. It's about a shared life under the scriptures, which we'll look at in a minute. It's about, it's about doing life together for the glory of God. It's about helping and building one another up. It's about serving one another. You know what? It's about sacrificially pouring out our lives for one another. It costs. There's a cost to it, but it's really, really worthwhile. You see, sometimes people want the benefits without the sacrifice, but the result is immaturity. You just want the good stuff, but you don't want to lay your life down for anyone. You don't want to go out on a limb for anyone. You don't want to serve anyone. You don't want to inconvenience yourself for anyone. And as a result, you just remain immature. So actually, to call you to sacrifice is a beautiful thing because you grow through that because we learn to pattern ourselves after Jesus. And sometimes people want to receive without giving. But that's a recipe for poverty, because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. There's something in giving, whether it's finance, or whether it's just yourself, your time, uh, of, or, or your gifts and talents, that actually is a blessing that comes back that goes way beyond what you actually give. Sometimes people, people want to kind of, well, I have a bit of that, but I also want a bit of that. Either, well, I want to be that church, but, or, or that church too. Or I want to be, I want to kind of the church, but I kind of, I kind of just still like stuff that's more like to do with my old life. And as a result, there's no fruit because the Bible says that as the roots really go down somewhere, that's when the fruit comes up. And these things are so important to understand and, it, and it's quite countercultural. You probably wouldn't be hearing this stuff elsewhere, so it can be, seem a bit new and a bit foreign, but it's vitally important if you're going to grow and flourish as a believer, as someone who's following the Lord. So first is this seriousness about belonging. Assembling, enrolled, who's part of it? Are you part of it or not? And so the way, we, the way we talk about belonging at Revelation, we try and keep it quite dynamic. You say, if you want to belong, then, 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 then get involved in the team on a Sunday, help to make this thing happen with us. Belong to a gospel community where you can, where you can be on mission with other believers during the week. And then, and, and thirdly, give, give, be, be committed to the vision of the church and all that it, all that, that means financially, wisely in accordance to, you know, what you've got faith for in your heart. But that's what, it's a dynamic thing, rather than tick this box and sign this bit of paper. So no, it's a dynamic. We're moving together somewhere. God's got us going somewhere. So first, there's there's, there's a belonging element which is it's important and it's serious. But then listen to these from this is very beautiful in chapter eight. It says. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning till midday. You guys should be grateful. You get 45 minutes max, right? From early morning until midday. In the, and this was July. Okay, this is in the Middle East. All right, okay. So, uh, uh, where are we? <laughs> in the presence of the men and the women and those who can understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform. There we go. <laughs> that they made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah and Masai on his right hand and Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah and Meshlam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and as he opened it all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also a bunch of other guys with long names helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Isn't it, isn't it beautiful? It's a wonderful picture. It's not, this, is, this is people engaged. This is, it's not just reading out words that no one gets. They're giving the sense of it. They're helping understand it. This is why we do what we do. Okay? It's a kind of model. that We're not just gathered together randomly. We're gathered together under the word of God. This is really important, and again, I think massively countercultural that we are, we are together corporately under the authority of the Bible. And there might be certain things we stand for that in your heart you think, whoa, that's new, I've not, oh, not heard that before, or oh, we're strong on that. And the, if we are, it's because we believe the Bible is strong on that. And so we'll communicate why. It's not just the ideas of people or man-made rules. We will not do that here. I want to say that. This church will not be a place where we create a load of man-made rules to keep people in order. It's not going to happen. It just doesn't work. (laughs) It's called legalism, and all it leads to is loads and loads of secret sin. That's all it leads to. Or you can't do that, you mustn't do that. All that happens is people do it in secret when the pastor's not looking. It's nonsense. It's not Christianity. Christianity is being born again by the Holy Spirit, being given a brand new heart with the, with the things God loves written onto it by the Spirit so that in your deepest place now, you want to please Him, you want to serve Him, so that now at your core you hate sin, even though the flesh you live with still loves it, in your core, in your spirit, you hate it and you want to walk away from it and you want to crucify it because you want to live to the glory of God. And a church is a place where a whole bunch of people like that come together and out of internal Holy Spirit desire, they go about living life to the glory of Christ. That's the church. And because none of us are perfect yet, we sin, we mess up, we make mistakes, we help one another on the way, we support one another, we stand with one another, we confess sins to one another, but we do not control one another's lives. That's not what Christians do or Christian leaders do. Because it will not produce maturity in you. God has given you a spirit of self-control. So leadership and helping others is about helping people understand that you've got the Holy Spirit. I'll stand with you, but don't look to me 
to somehow control your life so that you don't sin anymore. No, no, no. You've got the Lord. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You've got access to God. I will teach and preach, counsel, help, stand with you, pray with you, encourage you, exalt you, plead with you. But at the end of the day, we must all take our stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so my main role as a pastor, for when I'm pastoring believers, is I believe that your deepest desire, if you are truly born again, is to live for the glory of Jesus. I believe that. I believe that underneath all the nonsense and the things you're struggling with is a, is a solid rock desire to glorify Christ with all of your life. Because you've been born again. And so my aim and my hope is to get you to live out of that place rather than living out of any other wrong, false ideas, but to live out of the power of the truth by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's what we are about. That's what we do. That is what it means to live under the Scriptures together and to, and, to, and, to, and to say we believe that the Holy Spirit has inspired these Scriptures and will empower us to obey when we read these things. And so there's a, there's a, there's a sense in which in the way that we relate and help one another live, we're not left guessing. We're not left guessing. God's shown us how to live. He's shown us how to live. And people can distort scriptures. The Bible says people can distort scriptures. You can distort them so they kind of serve your own kind of sinful desires. You can do that if you want to. But actually the teaching of God is plain to see. And if you want to spend your energy and time twisting them so that you can get away with stuff that you know is wrong, then you have the freedom to do that. Okay? You're, gonna, you're not, you're, you're, you're not going to glorify God with your life. You're going, to mess, you're going to mess, it will lead to regret and torment and you're probably going to cause some destruction on the way. But you, you can do that if you want to. Much better to say, God, I believe you are really good and that you're not out to ruin or restrict my life but to bring me into life to the full. And that even the things where you say this isn't going to be any good for you, it's because you know and you love me and I'm going to trust you for that. And not to believe the lie of Satan, which is always goes out to restrict and close things down and make life, ruin life. I have come, Jesus said, to give you life and life in abundance. And so following, following God's way through the scriptures will lead to that. Hallelujah. So um, try and make it clear when we preach, just so you get what God is saying through that. We gather together, this is what it means to belong. Amen. Then to believe. Now listen to this, this is really staggering now. This is a beautiful moving moment that happens next. So they've been reading out the scriptures. And uh, then listen, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet. This day is holy, don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they understood the words that were declared to them. So basically, the law is getting proclaimed, and as it's coming, they're all thinking, oh no, we haven't done that. Oh no, we've blown it there. And what happens? They just begin to weep. They're, they're convicted. They're convicted. Man, their hearts been tenderised. They realise, I've blown it. Now, you've got to watch this, you see, because some people avoid, like the plague, God's word, because they know if they hear it, it will make them feel convicted, and they think that's where the story ends. 
They think that somehow God's malicious and just really wants to get you to a point of despair. And then God has accomplished his purpose. Now listen, God's word comes, you realise, oh man, he's holy. Look, look at my life, the way I think. You get broken down by that. You, and, and then what, he comes alongside you and he lifts you up. And when he lifts you up, you're no longer self-righteous, self-sufficient or proud. You know you've been lifted up by the mercy and the grace of God. You know that it's only the kindness and the compassion of God that could come along someone like you and lift you up. That's exactly what happens. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that happens. They say, celebrate God's grace. Celebrate God's mercy. Don't be downcast. Do two things. Eat lots of fatty stuff and drink wine. How cool is that? Right? And then, remember those who haven't got much fatty stuff and wine and give them some. Christian life. Celebrate the grace of God over your life. You've been forgiven freely. Jesus Christ has paid your debt. He's cleared it. He's nailed it to the cross. Every vile thing you've thought, said or done that left you opposed to God, he has dealt with. He said it's finished, so now you've been reconciled to God, forgiven, made brand new, made a son and a daughter. You're in the family. You've got eternal life. I mean, man, celebrate that and remember the poor. There it is. That's, that, that's, that's it. I mean, you read Galatians. That's, that's, that's the whole thing that's going on there. They're trying to add stuff to it and trying to put themselves back under Jewish law. It's like, no. No, if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died in vain. If you've got to add stuff to it, you're saying the cross is insufficient. The cross is completely sufficient for you to be declared righteous before God. Otherwise, what are you saying? You start adding stuff to it. He's done it. He's done it. He's done it. Now celebrate it. Live a life that reflects the grace of God, the mercy of God, and extend that grace and mercy to those who need it. Let the compassionate heart of God impact you in the way that you live and the way that you are. It's profound. Now, these guys only had a shadow. They just had, you know, all these sacrifices and things which pointed to Jesus. We know where, we know where this whole stuff was pointing. We know, wow, God himself became flesh. How can we be fooled by this idea that God's somehow remote or aloof or doesn't, is not interested? He became flesh and dwelt among us and all the wonders that Jesus is in his healings and miracles and compassion and mercy and holiness and mighty, wonderful hatred of anything false and hypocritical. This is our God. And he's shown himself to be wonderful and among us, Emmanuel, as we heard prayed earlier. How cool is that? How cool is that? But, but live, you've got to live it out. Let it impact your life and live it out. Why? Because faith without works is dead. Let it impact you, this gospel, and overflow out of you to others to demonstrate, oh, you've got it. It's real, genuine faith. So we've got bolstering with elders, belonging by being assembled and enrolled and under the scriptures, believing, getting the gospel and living out of that. Wow, this incredible message of new life. And then finally, boothing. Yep. Listen to this. Verse 13. We're going to booth, babies. We're going to booth. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. They found in it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm and other leafy trees to make booths, as it's written, 
So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from their captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the very first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. What is this booting about? Here's what it's about. When God brought them into the promised land, he said, once a year, for a week, you're going to go and make tents. You're going to make little tents and live in them. Why? To remember where you came from. You might have these lovely cities now and these beautiful dwellings of concrete and wonderful, whatever you use, but remember where you came from. You were strangers. You were exiles. You were aliens in a foreign land. You had before that, you were slaves. And, and it's part of God's wisdom. He knows how forgetful we are. Which is the weirdest thing. Isn't it weird how Christians can become self-righteous hypocrites? It's the weirdest thing. When that happens, you've basically forgotten where you came from. You, 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 you missed it somewhere along the way. And you ended up thinking that somehow God loves you because you're righteous. It's so vile. It's so sick. It's so disgusting before God. God loves you because God loves you. God loves you because he is perfectly loving. God doesn't love you because you're righteous. God loves you because he loves you. God loves you because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves you because God is love. Not because you've done well. God is able to pour out his love on you. Why? Because you've done well? No, because Jesus died in your place. And it's remembering where we came from. I'm not saying you've got to live in a booth for a week, a year, but you've got to find ways of remembering where you came from to keep your heart from self-righteousness, to keep your heart from somehow you're thinking you're better than, oh, I'm not like those people, I'm better than those didn't Jesus tell a parable about that? Didn't Simon preach that parable a few months ago? The Pharisee and the publican and the Pharisee. Oh, thank you, I'm not like other people, Lord. Yeah, oh, yeah, I fast twice a week and I do these things. And the other guy's just there beating his breast, thinking he's just aware of just the state of his heart without God and the mercy that he needs. Which one went away justified, Jesus asked? That one. That one. Jesus saved his harshest words for the Pharisees. His harshest words for those who thought they were righteous in their own eyes. Golly. God, keep us from that. I want to just finish by asking you, what do you need to remember today? Christian. If you're a Christian, what do you need to remember? What slavery has he brought you from? Think for a minute. What areas of just captivity and vice and darkness has he delivered you from? Remember, please remember. Where are you going? Where are you heading? What have you died to? What journey has the Lord got you on? Remember, you're a pilgrim. You're a traveller. You're just passing through. Are you still travelling light? Or are you all accumulating in your heart and clinging to this in your heart? Or oh, I really love this now. And actually, you're just struggling to run anymore because your heart's so weighed down with things, like this, that, and the other, things of this age, rather than recognising, no, I've been set, set free from my sin that I might run for Christ. I've been set free from my sin that I might seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
and not be caught up with the same lusts, fears, anxieties and desires of those who have never experienced this grace. It's a revolution he's brought us into. And God is the ultimate revolutionary. And he wants you to, don't get stodgy. Don't get safe. Don't get weighed down. Don't get proud. Don't forget. Don't forget. We must never forget. It's why we sing the same songs every week or similar. It's why we take the bread and the white. What, what we need to keep remembering. Foundation is Christ. Foundation is Christ. Not Jesus and Jesus. He's sufficient. He's enough. He is enough. His work is enough. We honour him today because he is enough. Amen? Amen. Amen, 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 amen. I want to just say to those of you that, you know, you're just thinking, this is new, you know. I want to plead with those of you that, that just are in a place where you're, you're kind of, it feels like in your mind you're in the grey. You know, you feel like a, you're not quite there. You don't quite see him. Just please keep coming to Jesus. Keep asking, seeking, knocking. Say, Lord, show me. Say, Lord, show me. You haven't got to come through me. It's the wonder of it. Come to him. You say, I've never prayed before. Just blow it. Just pray. Most people are going to be praying anyway. Just pray. Say, Jesus, if you're there, show me. Jesus, I want to know this mercy. Jesus, reveal to me that I can be forgiven. Help me get it. Let the penny drop. Use, just use your normal language, but let him know where you're at in your heart and just what you long for him to do. I tell you, God loves a desperate soul. If you pray in earnest like that, you haven't got to make it all religious, just tell him what's in your heart. His mercy is so rich, his compassion, so warm and tender. My every confidence is that he will respond to your prayer, that he will meet you there. Because Jesus said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Let's stand to our feet. Father, as we take this bread now and this wine, we just say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his broken body and his shed blood. Thank you that through his brokenness we are made whole. Thank you that through his shed blood we are forgiven. Thank you so much, Lord, for just the wonderful gift of your son, that he is enough, that his grace is sufficient for us, that his sacrifice is enough to atone for the vilest sin. Thank you, Lord, that no one should leave this place thinking that their sin is somehow uh, beyond your reach. You, You say where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And we pray for the reach of your grace into our hearts, lives and minds today. Lord, that we would know it and feel it and be mightily impacted by it. In the name of your Son. Amen.